Amen. Well, let's um, go ahead and pray as we begin uh, to read God's Word and then dive into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we have your word, that you did not leave us uh, not knowing you, uh, not knowing your character and what you have for us, but that you have revealed yourself to us through the Old and the New Testament, and most beautifully in Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate. We pray that as we come to your word, Lord, that it might convict and encourage us, Lord, that it might strengthen us in our faith that we might know and love you all the more. So Holy Spirit, be with us now and guide the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts, that they might glorify you, God, in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the text this morning comes from Hebrews, uh, quite a lovely uh, book. I'm quite fond of it. Uh, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 39. So hear now God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet one another as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word 
of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. All right, you may be seated. Well, this morning we will be looking at this and uh, faith, what that means. And I think as we enter the new year, perhaps there's uh, no better way to begin the year than looking at how do we steward our faith well. Maybe 2022 was a challenging year for your faith. Maybe it wasn't. But regardless, this passage shows us that we need to hold fast to the Word of God at all costs. Martin Luther held fast to the Word of God at a cost. His statements in the 95 Theses spread like wildfire across Europe. And after attempts in the intervening year by the church and by the state, uh, for him to withdraw his statements, he said, I will not. So the emperor uh, issued, he had an imperial diet, a hearing, uh, which could involve a sentencing so they could directly question him on his beliefs. Now, many of you know this story, but for Luther, the weight and the power of the entire church, much less the state, was going to come down and bear upon him. It was against him. To be deemed a heretic meant that he, it would mean excommunication and burning at the stake. Now, at the Diet of Worms, when he was asked, Luther replied in faith, holding fast. He said, I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope of the, of the Council if I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or cogent reasons, sub- subject to God's word, I neither can nor will recant anything. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Now, Luther resolved in faith to stand upon God's word. And for him, it wasn't a simple New Year's resolution like, hey, I want to have a better faith. For him, it was a matter of life and death, of truth and falsehood. Now, Thankfully, it's unlikely that any of us will stand trial like Luther did. But we still need to have an active and enduring faith that's corporate and unwavering. Now, this letter of Hebrews, uh, there's some mystery to it. Uh, It's difficult to ascertain maybe all the exact details of the situation Uh, But it certainly can be categorized as a sermon. It's a sermonic epistle, which, quite frankly, makes my job a little bit easier. Uh, And the setting that these recipients were was likely Rome, uh, and it was probably written to house churches there in the area. Uh, Some in the church had a strong faith, and others had a fairly weak faith. Uh, And what was going on was the church membership was being depleted. Uh, and it was often through defections uh, because they were enduring suffering. Uh, there was probably some state persecution. Uh, you know, we read that their property was plundered. Uh, but there was an authentic concern for those remaining in the church uh, that their faith might falter as well. Uh, and so we see this. And some scholars even actually say that uh, Emperor Nero's persecution might have been underway at the time as well, which was uh, quite reprehensible. So for these churches, confidence in Christ waned, their faith faltered, 
and the sacrifices that they took mounted. And our text today is dealing directly with these concerns of faith. And I believe in our own experience, uh, our experience with faith and with hope are also finicky. Uh, It's a very finicky thing to deal with faith and hope given our cultural realities and what we face. Now, while they're not as direct as what these uh, individuals faced, uh, we still have cultural pressures that are mounting today, and sometimes government action and policies go against the Word of God. Uh, But we must remain strong in our faith. Some of us are strong, some of us are weak, but our human nature and cultural realities cause us to waver in our faith. So this morning, what hope do we have? Well, thankfully, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our bedrock. And as it was true for these church members, it is true for us. Jesus' sacrifice cements the finality of our faith. And through his one sacrifice for all, he, Jesus perfected our faith for all time, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this means that we have a privileged status, that there's a punishment for sin, and that we need endurance to persevere in our faith. So this first idea, this privileged status that we have before God. Uh, The foundation and central to the argument here is Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. In the preceding verses, uh, his sacrifice, it shows that his sacrifice eliminates the need for animal sacrifices. They only foreshadowed what was to come. They cannot atone. Only Jesus's can. And it is Christ's sacrifice that gives us permanent access to God. Like I said, in the Old Testament, the appointed priests would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people for their atonement. Uh, they would not be allowed to go in to the holy places uh, to access God. They had to stay outside of the tab- tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Uh, but Jesus here, who he points to, is the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that went to the cross. He is both sacrificed and our priest, and he makes our access to God permanent. Now, verses 19 and 20 give us the three reasons of this access. The blood of Christ, his fleshly body, and he is the priest, our priest before God. And our free access to the holiness and presence of God is our privileged status. Uh, Now, with this access cemented by Jesus, we do have responsibilities, and the text is very clear about that. Verse 19 says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and then in verse 22, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We are to come to God. We are to draw near to God. We can't sit on the sidelines or say, hey, that's great. We are to draw near to God, and we are not to do it timidly. We can go boldly before the throne of God because of Jesus Christ. And when God sees us and we come before him, he sees the righteous robes of Jesus Christ that we're wearing. How beautiful. And secondly, it is Christ's sacrifice that establishes the permanent assembly of God. 
You see, this access that we have to God is corporate in nature. It's, it's built within a community. Remember that some were strong in the faith and others were weak. The cultural pressures at the time, their sufferings, their trials, the plundering of property assailed their faith, just as many things assail our faith. But Jesus established the church partly as a means to buttress our faith. And our privileged status means our permanent meeting together. Now, it's easy to think that in our individualistic culture and in the Western world, uh, that faith can just be between you and God. Personal devotions, personal prayer, you know, personal giving, uh, and that's all well and good. But that's not what we see here. We are members of one another. We are the body of Christ. Look at verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, and let us consider how to stir up one another and encouraging one another. Let us, plural, do these things. We confess, we encourage, we worship, and we believe together. Gathering together isn't a choice. It's a requirement. And when we neglect one another, we also neglect our faith. And when you neglect part of your faith, it tends to do so in other areas, causing our faith to falter. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that you had access to the president. Just imagine you have a meeting, you have a half an hour with him. What are you going to ask him? What are you going to, maybe you're going to tell him something. Maybe you're going to air some grievances or say, hey, can you uh, erase the speeding ticket I got or you know, silence my neighbor's yipey dogs. Uh, we might have a laundry list, but what, what would you ask him? Now, I want to broaden that and imagine that you had full access to the president. He would clear his schedule. He would do whatever. Hey, come on over. Come to the White House, Oval Office, sit down, you know, chat a little while. Uh, we'll have dinner and play some games. My time is your time. What if you had that kind of access to the president? That, I mean, that would be pretty, pretty cool. The most powerful man in the world, the one who could set the world ablaze, uh, is your friend. I would call that a privileged status to have, uh, worldly speaking. The world problems are not his His main focus is you. You see, but God is infinitely more powerful than the president, and our access to God means so much more, and it's much greater. Uh, His forgiveness is far deeper than a speeding ticket or our simple requests. And God doesn't just make time for you. He wants to spend time with you. He loves you being in His presence. That is the God that we serve. So even if we understand that we can go to God in His presence, oftentimes, at least for me, I feel like it's half full of faith. Maybe I come timidly, or God, if if you could do this, I know it's a big deal to me, but it's small potatoes to you. We come half full of faith. And I I think it's normal for us to feel this disconnect between a full faith confidence and our access to God. You see, full faith means full believing, no doubting, 
not wavering. But again, the circumstances of our life, the pressures that we find and face in culture, and sometimes our lack of community cause us to waver in this confidence before God. We vacillate between belief and uncertainty in God's promises. And on good days, we know and we feel full of confidence. But on bad days, we may simply want to give up and say, hey, it's not for me. But a full faith, as the text shows, means that we draw near to God through all of our vacillations that we experience in life. Even when our eyes and our circumstances deceive us. In fact, our faith necessitates that we draw near to God and go before his throne. We come into God's presence. We're in God's presence right now. When we gather to worship, when we pray, when we forgive one another, and anytime we're in community. Indeed, wherever two or three are gathered together, there he is with us also. So let us not pray as if God doesn't want or he doesn't have time for us, but rather with all boldness and confidence. This is full assurance of our faith. Earlier in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, on the other hand, when you don't draw near to God or forego church, it tends towards a faltering faith. And I think this is acutely clear in the aftermath of COVID. Uh, Some statistics and research show that about 25% of pre-pandemic church attendance and members are not there post-pandemic. So the church membership nationwide has dropped 25%. And many people um, now believe that online worship or a podcast or personal devotions are sufficient to get their spiritual nuggets for the week. Many have moved from an active to a passive faith, but you can't passively imbibe God's Word. It doesn't work like that. When you watch worship from home, you neglect meeting together physical presence with one another. And these form habits when we do them. And these habits can lead to a faltering faith. When we gather on Sundays in our small groups around the table to pray, show hospitality to one another, we are able to encourage one another and stir one another up in the faith. This is part of the reason that Jesus established the permanent assembly of God so that we might encourage and strengthen one another in our journey of faith. You and I have a regular responsibility to meet together. Now, what might you do to foster faith in your neighbor? How might you serve to encourage a brother or a sister who's going through a trial or suffering or it feels like it's a dry season spiritually. Perhaps it might be a simple meal in your home, or writing them a card delivered to their mailbox. Uh, It might be a little bit more robust, meeting weekly with coffee and discipling them and 
and sharing the burden together. Mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Even for uh, this church, Katie and I felt encouraged in the faith by a simple meal train. We are very grateful, and that strengthens our faith, and we pray that it strengthened the faith of those uh, who brought the meals as well. You see, this is the body of Christ. This is what we do. There are numerous ways to stir one another up. Now, where faith, where faith does falter, it can lead to an abandonment of the faith. And this is a very serious thing. The author has a dire warning for those who renounce faith in Christ. Uh, there is a punishment for sin. So immediately after showing the privileged status that we have through Jesus Christ, our sacrifice, the author is pivoting to write about former members of the church who defected from the, the visible church and went on to deliberate sin. Look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now, I want to be clear. This specifically means this deliberate sin was an attitude of contempt towards God. They knew Scripture, they knew the Word, and they still would deliberately sin and not give a rip about God. This is a contrast, as we read in Numbers, between a high-handed sin and an unintentional sin. Whatever the cause might be that they abandon their faith, these words are quite clear, that they are apostates. Uh, they abandon the faith. Now, I think a natural question here for us is, does this mean that someone can lose their salvation? Fair question, given the text. But I want to be clear as well. The answer is no. We can think of Jesus' parable about the seeds. I don't think these individuals, uh, they were not saved by grace. They came into the flock, and they were like seed that went out and was planted among the thorns that grew up and sprouted, and then very quickly the cares of the world choked their faith. They proved unfruitful. So these are the people that abandon the faith. And for anyone outside of Christ, whether it's these or those uh, who do not know God, there is a definite judgment. God's fierce wrath burns against them, and much more so, the text says, for those who abandon the faith. Look at 26. It says, A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then later in verse 30, it says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You cannot trample upon the blood of Christ, profane the covenant, and insult the spirit of grace, and walk away scot-free. When one knows these truths and rejects them, much worse punishment for sin awaits. You see, this idea of judgment and God's wrath and uh, punishment, it's not a popular topic. It does not give us the warm and fuzzies. Uh, but Jonathan Edwards, uh, in a famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he speaks of these people who abandon the faith, who hold an attitude of contempt, 
towards God after knowing the truth that they never passed under a great change of heart. He says, all of you that were never made new creatures, unexperienced in light and life, are in the hands of an angry God. However, you may have reformed your life in many things and may have had religious affections and may keep up a form of religion in your families and homes and in the house of God. It is nothing but his mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction. You see, we either believe and live Scripture, trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation, or we pretend we do and bear the wrath of God. And if you are in Christ, His sacrifice covers your sins. There is no judgment for you. Jesus received that on the cross. But if you keep on sinning deliberately and hold an attitude of contempt towards God, a definite judgment of destruction awaits. Now, I think the army takes serious its values and commitment uh, to the American people. We have the army values, which are a very basic set of standards and values. Uh, And necessarily, in the military community, uh, there's a trust given to one another. Uh, We share the same constitution. uh, We share the same commitment and allegiance. You have to trust one another on the battlefield. And any action that would break this would be punishable, uh, and much more so if it was a deliberate action uh, that was taken against this community. Many of you know the story of Major Hassan in 2009. He had served for over 20 years in the military, and in November uh, 5, 2009, he went in and he fatally shot 13 people, and then an unborn child Uh, and he injured 30 more. And this premeditated murder that he committed is the largest on any American military base. And rightfully, he was charged with 13 counts of premeditated murder and 32 counts of attempted premeditated murder. This is very serious. And in August 2013, he was sentenced to death. And actually, on the 23rd of this month, January 2023, he will be executed for uh, his crime. His deliberate sin brought definitive, definite judgment. You see, just like our military community, our faith is demanding. God demands loyalty to his word, just as we see in the first commandment to him, It's the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. When Israel made the golden calf, it was a high-handed sin. They knew that they were to not have any gods before them. And in fact, the text shows it. The preamble to the Ten Commandments is, For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And the text shows that This God, this golden calf, will now deliver them. It was a high-handed sin. God demands allegiance and fidelity. We are to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our might, and and our strength. And when we truly love God and remain in community, I think this keeps us from becoming a stiff-necked people. It keeps us from deliberate sin. 
Now again, I want to make clear uh, that for those of you who love the Lord and keep the faith, uh, your sins are under His sacrifice. So even when we sin, lying, gossiping, uh, our anger, we are to confess them, Scripture calls us, but we also know, as we did in our worship service, that we have an assurance of our pardon because of Jesus Christ. We confess them to one another in full confidence that Jesus' blood covers them. Now, if you're in here and you keep on sinning deliberately and you have an attitude of contempt towards God, perhaps you have a dead faith, one that has the skeletal looks of faith, but in reality is only that, dead bones. If you abandon biblical faith, deliberately sin and persist in that, there is a certain damnation that awaits God's furious fire that will consume his adversaries. As Jesus said, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, a dead faith leads to death. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think perhaps this is another good reason that we do not neglect to meet together, uh, that we encourage one another in the faith, that we correct and reprove uh, and keep each other accountable. Sheep thrive best in a flock. And thankfully, we have a great team of elders here who are to shepherd and to rule and to encourage you in the faith. And I pray that each of our hearts stay sensitive and tender to God's word. Uh, and the Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. Now, after this severe warning about deliberate sin and abandoning the faith, the author is returning to encouragement. He spoke of those who defected from the faith, and now he's pivoting again to talk about those in, who remain in the house churches who faith wavered. Though the church was in crisis from these defections and the pressures that they were facing, the persecution, they were to hold fast to the faith. And the author is actually, he takes a moment to recall their earthly endurance in the faith. Uh, he applauds their deep sense of community. Uh, some of these members had uh, been in prison, some of their property plundered, uh, but they exhibited an outward, an otherworldly solidarity with one another. Uh, it is likely that these same members from the house church, some went to prison, some did not, that these who did not went to visit those in prison, that they brought in and gave possessions to, to those who uh, had their property plundered. There was a solidarity and a deep shared sense of community among the assembly of God. And even though God did not physically rescue them under such persecution, this body of Christ shared the solidarity, shared the same spirit, and they shared the same story. And through their endurance, they demonstrated their obedience to Christ. Look at the, this exchange that we see in verse 34. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they had a better possession and an abiding one. They joyfully exchanged their earthly possessions for their heavenly one, their heavenly promise. Their gaze was fixed upon the eternal reward. 
dwelling with their king. Verses 35 and 36 say, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And as Paul writes in Romans 4, we are not to weaken or waver in the faith, knowing that God is able to fully deliver on his promises. And as these church members knew that their suffering produced endurance, their endurance produced character, and their character produced hope. And I actually encourage you to maybe incorporate Hebrews 11, the next chapter, verses 13 through 16, into your prayer for endurance in your faith. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It's very beautiful, and I ask that you pray it, whether you feel strong in the faith or weak in the faith, that we might desire that better country. A couple of, a couple of months ago, I finished reading The Lord of the Rings. And I get it, The Lord of the Rings is an overused sermon illustration, it's been monetized, it's uh, overpopularized, I get that. But in reading the books, this was my first time, uh, there is a deep beauty in the endurance of Frodo and Sam. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, Tolkien knew what he was doing when he wrote this. They had ample opportunity to shrink back from their mission to destroy the ring, and they, in fact, spoke about it in, at times, many times along their journey. But they persevered in their faith through great fear, affliction, and shame to destroy the ring. And there's this beautiful section uh, that I actually cried at when I was reading the book. They destroyed the ring, the eagles came and got them, and they, they went back, and they slept for a long time, and then they awoke. And Sam gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam. It was the pure sound of merriment. You see, at the end of our story, the story which we're all participants in, John writes, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment, and the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son." Everything sad will come untrue. And this is the abiding hope that we possess. Our God, the God of endurance, is at work in our story, in your story. So wherever you're at in your faith, as we enter this year, 
whether you're in a place of peace or in a torrent of trials, you have need of endurance. Survey your own story for a moment. Where have you seen God at work? How can you look back at this past year and say God was at work there? As the Israelites did in Joshua 4 after they crossed the Jordan, they placed memorial stones, one for each tribe, to remember the mighty work that God had done in their story. We would do well to keep, I think, an account of those, to have memorial stones, so to speak, to see how God is at work in our story so that we might hope in our trials and teach our children and glorify God in reflection. And may we also share in solidarity with one another, with our brothers and sisters, especially those who are enduring dark days. Pray with them. Stir the hope of our story, of our heavenly possession, our heavenly promise, and walk with them through the valley. Don't give up helping someone because it's too hard to help them or it takes so much time or you have too much to do. Share in sufferings because we share the same spirit. Together, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Indeed, we possess a formidable faith. Our faith isn't based upon something or some far-off hope, but on someone. And Jesus' sacrifice cemented the finality of our faith, and the promise that we have in God through the cross. Though Satan may assail us in many ways, and from every single angle, the world hates us, whatever pressures we have, Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He will perfect your faith so you may be with God, that we may be with God and He be our God and we be his people. Indeed, it is God who upholds us for the Lord is able to make us stand. Paul in Philippians 1 states, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So as that day draws near, know that God is at work in your story to help you endure, to have a formidable faith because it's cemented in Jesus' sacrifice. Do not exchange fleeting tangibles for eternal intangibles. And what makes our faith formidable is not our will or our power, but, but, but the blood of Jesus Christ and his mighty and outstretched arm working on our behalf. Our faith and our reward is sealed by the blood of Jesus So may we confidently join the chorus of Psalm 118. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? May you and I be counted among those who do not shrink back, but persevere in the faith and preserve our souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word to us, that it gives us great encouragement and joy to see that so many have gone before and that many have died in faith, looking and holding on to the promise, uh, Lord, of their heavenly home. And now on this side of Jesus Christ, may we cling even more 
to the promise that we have, that you might strengthen our faith, that we might abide in you, that we might steward our faith well in community together this year. Lord, and in all these things, we look to you and we pray that we glorify you through this. So Jesus, uphold us, your church, as our head. May we be members in a faithful body of you, Lord Christ. We love you and we thank you and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.